to open your mouth and begin to bless the name of the Lord. To bless the Lord means to speak of his goodness, to speak of his faithfulness, to remind yourself of how good he has been to you, and to repeat the same to him. Bless the name of the Lord this morning. Worship him from your heart. Give him praise. Give him worship. Worship is about heart connection. That nothing is hidden. Everything is open to him. We are open before him. Nothing hidden. We've come before him with all that we are. With all that we have. Everything that is nothing hidden. Our successes, our failures, our shortcomings, our achievements. Everything is open before him. Everything is open before him. Lord, we honor you. We honor you. We honor you, Father. The beauty of the Lord captivates us. It draws our attention from every other thing else, from other things, so that we can focus on God and God alone. His beauty. His beauty. Bible talks about a street that is made of gold. Bible talks about gates that are open, that the honor of kings are brought in continually. Bible talks about a throne that is set up. And from that throne shines forth the glory of the Lord. And that city of the Lord does not need light because the glory of the Lord is the light of that city. He lights it up so that God is the reality of that city. And so the Lord taught us, he said, when you pray, say this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed is your name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done upon the earth. Thank you for the kingdom that we are partakers of. Thank you because your kingdom is a present reality. In our world today, we dwell in the kingdom. Thank you because of the influence of your kingdom that is spreading, spreading around the world. Spreading around the world. Thank you because we are witnesses of your glory. We are representatives of that kingdom. So we spread your influence upon this earth. We spread your influence. The Bible says it's as though God through us is beckoning upon the world. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. Through us. Through us. Through us. The Lord beckons upon the world. So the kingdom of God is here. The influence of God is here. The beauty of his glory My beloved is the most beautiful among thousands and thousands. My beloved is the most beautiful among thousands. 
Yeshua. Yeshua. your name oh God thank you for giving us another opportunity to fellowship with one another and of course our fellowship is with you Holy Father as we behold your glory this morning we pray oh God that we are transformed into the same glory as we open up completely before you this morning we pray oh God that we will conceive and be fruitful in the engagement that we've had with you in the name of Jesus Lord I pray oh God that your word will open up before us that your word will be unveiled to us that we we'll behold your glory therein we behold your possibilities oh God we behold your power we behold your strength we behold your abilities we behold your power Lord Jesus as the word is unveiled this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. As you have your seat this morning, I want you to nod at your neighbor and smile at your neighbor. We used to say, shake your neighbor. <laughs> but now we say, nod at your neighbor. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory be to God. This morning, I want to um, appreciate and acknowledge the and celebrate um, some people in our midst. Yesterday was uh, Minister Maurice's um, birthday, and I really, really want to appreciate him. Um, you know, we've been praying now for how many days? Over 100 days, and he's one person that we always post the reminders, you know, on our pages, um, our WhatsApp, and I really want to appreciate him. And then today is uh, Minister Musa's birthday, our beloved architect. Hallelujah. You know, the way Aquila and Priscilla, can you call them architects? Well, they were tent makers. Architects, well, I don't know. Hallelujah. But we really want to appreciate him. Thank you, Minister Musa, for all that you do for the body. 
We acknowledge your efforts, your love for the body. Thank you for what you do for MOI. And thank you for your leadership. Hallelujah. I also want to celebrate Mr. and Mrs. Benro and Kemi Ogundikwe. Hallelujah. How many years? Lord Jesus. Blessed be God. He was my junior in secondary school, but he's my senior in marriage. <laughs> Hallelujah. We celebrate you, Mrs. Ogundikwe. Pastor Benro is there, he's one of us. We celebrate you. Thank you so much for your support. And thank you, Pastor Benro. I really have to say this for all that you do for the body. Thank you so much. Now, straight to the word this morning. I want you to open to three passages as we begin this morning. The first one is Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. I will tell you the verses later. And the second is 1 Corinthians 3. And then the last is Galatians chapter, chapter 4. So let's read the first one, Hebrews chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 12 to 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. I think I won't use. Electronic Bible is better. You open there faster. So he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Both good and evil. The second scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is not what I'm teaching this morning. This is just the opening. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read the first three verses. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And behaving like mere men. The last scripture is Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. By now you know there's a link between these scriptures, these passages. Chapter 4 verse um, 19. Galatians chapter 4 verse 19. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. My little children of whom I travail in birth again. I, I did it before. But I have to do it again until Christ be formed in you. Until Christ be formed in you. The reason why we read these three passages is because... For some time now, I've been thinking and asking myself, why is it that the word of God is not bearing fruit in believers the way the Bible says it would? How come the Bible describes the word of God as being potent, as being powerful, as being, I mean, something... I said, is your word not like armor that breaks the yoke in pieces? And then we receive the word. That's not the effect. 
that we see. He said, is your word not like fire that burns? That is not the effect we see. What we see is people receive the word and it's as if they have received nothing. If people receive the word and we are waiting expectantly to see the fruit that the word will bear in the lives of people and we, we wait. And then we, we wait. And then we wait. And we wait and nothing is coming. That is not what we see in scripture. So that set my mind to begin to find out from scriptures why that might be so. Why that is happening. Because we, the, the greatest deception is for us not to really know what is going on within us. The greatest deception is for us to be on a wrong path and we are not even aware. If you are aware that you are on a wrong path, at least one day maybe somebody will say something and it will trigger something within you and you will find your way back to the right path. But to be on the wrong path and not to know you are on the wrong path, oh God, that's a great deception. The Bible says, if the light that is within you is darkness. It says, how great is that darkness? Hallelujah. How great is that darkness? So all this, the contemplations I believe in the heart of every pastor is to see and wait out that the word of God will bear roots, will take roots downwards and then bear fruit upwards. That, that is the desire of every pastor. So I'm read, I read that scripture to you, the one that was written, written by Paul to the Corinthians. He said, now I can't feed you with strong stuff because you are babes, you are carnal, you are still behaving like mere men. So I have to be careful in feeding you so that I don't choke you. So that I don't discourage you. And then the writer of Hebrew also wrote the same thing. He said, by this time you ought to be teachers. But now you still need someone to teach you the elementary principles of the word. When you ought to be teachers. When you ought to be teaching others. When you ought to be bringing other people in. Because our work really is not to be maintained. Hear me. If you read the entire scriptures, Bible did not, the scriptures are not written for believers to be maintained. Do you know what it means to be maintained? Um, um, now, the Bible comforts. The Bible brings comfort. The Bible, Bible brings encouragement. Bible brings uh, peace. Okay? And all those things. That's not what I'm saying. All that we get from scriptures. But the Bible expects us that it is as we fellowship with the word of God that we are nourished by the word. What does that mean? Our needs are taken care of. Nourishment. You know, when you are, when you are hungry, you eat and then you are nourished. Okay? So the Bible expects us, God expects us to be nourished by the word of God that we stay strong in the truth of the word. But having been nourished, he expects us to step out and recruit more men to become laborers. Recruit more men into the workforce of God. More men who will labor in the kingdom. More men who will represent Christ upon the earth. More men who will bear witness to the truth. So that a believer will sit down. And all we keep doing is to keep maintaining that believer. Hey, hey, you are discouraged. Hey, hey, see, see what the Bible says. See what the Bible says. That we will yet do. Pastors, Abba. You know the state of your flock. That's what you will do. But I'm telling you that that is not the original intention of God. The original intention of God is that you are fed. And after a time, you become someone who is discipling others. 
You become someone who is bringing other people into the kingdom. You become someone who is reading out the job descriptions of the kingdom citizens to other people. So that they can come in and take their position and begin to labor in accordance to what God has called all of us to labor in upon the earth. Hallelujah. So this is the contemplation. So why is it that the word is not having effect? I come to this conclusion. Number one, the first conclusion I came to is that there's no problem with the word. That's what the Bible teaches. Mark chapter 4 describes to us the sower. Now, we realize that there was no problem with the word. There was no problem with the seed of the word. But guess what? Despite the fact that there was no problem with the seed of the word, despite the fact that the word was not defective, it did not germinate appropriately in different sectors, I mean, different, uh, different grounds. There were places where the word did not germinate at all. It didn't spring up at all. There were places where the word sprang up and it got choked. There were places where the word, I mean, the word was sown and it was immediately taken away. And then it was only one soil, the good soil, that the word was planted and then it began to, get, get, to bear fruit. It began to bear fruit. So if there is nothing with the word, how come it didn't bear fruit on a stony ground? He didn't bear fruit among tongues. He didn't bear fruit on the, uh, on the wayside. He only bore fruit on the good ground. And then we say there is no problem with the word. There is no problem with the seed of the word. So I came to this conclusion. So there's no problem with the word. I agree with what Jesus taught in Mark chapter 4. There's a problem with the way the word is presented. Last week, I spent time telling us how that if you misrepresent Christ, the Christ that you present to people cannot deliver. If you misrepresent the gospel, Romans chapter 1 verse 17, he said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But if what you are teaching is your own version of the gospel and not the one that the Bible reveals, it cannot bring salvation. Can I say this statement? Make this statement. Many people may be walking around, they are in different churches, but they are not born again. I'm sorry, it sounds like a sweeping statement. Many people are deceived. Talk about the experience of the Spirit. Talk about the lessons they have gleaned from scriptures. Talk about some of the things we talk about when we pray or when we study the word or when we come to church. They have never had such an experience. And I'm telling you, I question the salvation that they have received. Because salvation itself is an experience. It's an experience. I got saved on a Thursday as a Muslim boy. Nobody told me, but the next day I knew I wasn't going to the mosque. Nobody taught me. Nobody had to tell me that. The truth that I received already taught me that. That there is a new way of serving God from today. I knew that intuitively. So if I think about my experience coming into Christ, then I question it when I interact with people and they, their Christian life is devoid of any experience whatsoever in God. The Holy Spirit is just something they say from the mouth. The word is powerful. It's just a statement from the mouth. There is no demonstration in the life of these people to show that the word is powerful. Yesterday, thank, thankfully, okay, sent me a testimony from someone, and the person has been joining our prayers from way, way, way back. Had different troubles at different times. The Lord delivered him from them all. And in recent times, it was, you know, the story read like cacophony of of misfortunes. And then all of a sudden, 
He said, I heard this word, I, I held on to it. And then all the things that were taken, all the things that turned around, he lost his job. Lost it. The car got stolen with 500,000 naira inside. Stolen. Everything. God just started. Number one, he was unjustly let go in his place of work. Guess what? They have called him back. They have called him back. They were trying to cover things up. But you see, when the truth of God is revealed, truth means to unveil that which was conceived. That's what truth means. A time is coming when the Bible says everything that had been covered up will be open. Will be open. So the Bible says we cannot do anything against the truth but for it. So when the truth is, this, is, is presented and you receive it into your heart, it unveils the things that have been covered up. Hallelujah. So the presentation of the word can be defective. Secondly, I also realize that it's not just the presentation of the word. The reception of the word also has a problem. If you receive the word wrongly, it may not produce. The one that fell among thorns got choked. Because what the word, what the truth of the word does is that it separates you. It begins to reposition you. It begins to remove you from where you were before and place you where you ought to be. But when such movements are not taking place, the description is that the word is not fruit. Nothing is happening. So the reception of the word also has a problem. And that is what I want us to look at this morning. I want us to look at the reason why we receive the word and it's as if it's not bearing fruit within us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this morning I have a message that I titled Permission Full Colon The Knowledge of Truth. Permission. Very simple, right? Very, very simple. Looks so basic. Hallelujah. But I need you to hear it. Permission. To permit means to give access to someone. Right? To allow someone to do a particular thing. It could mean consent. It could mean access. It is authorization. So my wife the other day was going to the embassy. And because I've been the one always applying for our visas, guess what? She said, can you give me a letter? And then I wrote an authorization letter. When she got there, she brought out our account statement. She brought out all the receipts that we, that, we, that we collected when Audrey was born. She brought out all these things. They were like this. And then the man said, is there any letter from your husband? And then she presented the letter I wrote. And then he said, go for your, go collect your visa in so-so place. That was how she got her visa. The letter I wrote. To give access. To tell them, what did I put in the letter? I am unable to apply for my own visa at this time. But I promise that by the time they are ready to travel, I will have been ready to apply and order. Please, kindly grant her blah, 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 blah. That was all she was given. Access, consent, authorization, permission. These are definitions of permission. But you see, when we think about access as believers... Most of the time, we are actually thinking about that which you can get from God. Thank you, Father, for the access that we have into your spirit. Thank you, Father, for the access into the favor and the grace. There is nothing wrong with that. I pray that. I still do. 
There's nothing wrong with that prayer. I'm only saying that when we think about access, most of the time we are thinking about that which we can gain from God, that which we can receive from God, that which God will give to us. So we think of access from the perspective of that which we can get. But you see, I want you to see access from a different angle, and this is from the scriptures also. There is another form of access. You know, the Bible tells us regarding wanting to receive something from God, there are three key words that the word you, I mean, the Bible uses in Matthew 7, 7. Ask, seek, knock. After all, God is who gave us permission. Then we should ask, Lord, I need shoe. <laughs> I need a house. I need the wife. <laughs> Hallelujah. But oftentimes, more often than not, we do not realize that God is also doing the same thing. He's also asking. He's also seeking. He's also knocking the doors of our heart. And the Bible says so. I'm not the one saying it. We think of these things as what we do to receive from God, but we do not actually to see that God is actually making the same demand. God is actually knocking. God is actually asking. And he's seeking us out. Hallelujah. And that is what I want us to look at. Because that is what my message is about. Hallelujah. God is a seeker also. Second, Corinth, Second Chronicles 16, 19. Remember that popular scripture for the eyes of the Lord? Run to and fro. So it's not only the devil. Throughout the whole earth. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is what? Whose heart is loyal to him. Whose heart is loyal to him. God is always seeking. So the question is that if God is the God of the universe, if God is the one who created all things, the Bible says without him was anything made that was made. The Bible says he was before all things and there was nothing that was made that was not made by him. Why is it that God still requires permission from us to get things done? Why? If God who created the universe is actually the one who created everything, is the one sustaining everything by the word of his power, how come he still needs permission? You may ask. Psalm 115, verse 16, the Bible says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth, he has done what? He has given to the children of men. The heavens, even the heavens belong to the Lord, are the Lord's. But the earth, he has done what? Given. The earth he has given. If the Lord has given the earth to man, then he has given the earth to man. When he created man, what did he tell him? He said, have dominion, subdue. Here on earth, you have legitimacy. Do stuff here. And so when it comes to naming animals, God didn't have to bother himself. He has given the earth to man. So guess who named everything? Man. So man, the earth he has given to man. So for God to interfere or to intervene in the affairs of men, that's what? Man, we have to give him permission. That should answer your question when you say that if God knows that I have need of this thing, why is he waiting for me to ask? Why should I pray? Why am I praying when God knows that I need it already? 
Do you get what I'm saying? So that already answers it, right? So that's the reason why we pray. When you pray, you give him permission to come. Does it mean God is not walking outside of that? He's actually walking outside of that, but to walk within you, to accomplish the purpose for the pet, to, to grant the petition you have placed before him, the way he has chosen to do it is to first deal with the man who is making the petition. Lord Jesus, I want you to raise influencers for the influencers for the world, raise professionals who will take care of different sectors in this country. The man who is praying the prayer already excludes himself from that process. And the man who is praying the prayer is one of the best people that God will want to use because his heart is already indicting that matter. He's already thinking that thought. So there is something God wants to do with the man. No matter how little, he wants to do it with the man. So the, the answer to that prayer begins with who? With the petitioner. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? It begins with the petitioner. It begins with the man. So you can't exclude yourself. There is, no matter how little, there is a part that you have to play in that prayer you are praying. Hallelujah. I guess I still need to prove it a little bit. For about 400 years, the theologians call it the silent years. I don't want to use the books of the Bible, but after Malachi, or whoever the last prophet is who prophesied, after that last prophet prophesied, there was a period that was called a silent years. Guess what? God was not really saying anything. It was more like when the children of Israel were in the land of Egypt. It was as if they were, they, they were forgotten. You don't get it. 400 years. Do you, you don't get four centuries. As in 100 years. One. 100 years. Two. 100 years. Three. Then 100 years. Four. And then the deliverer of Israel did not understand his assignment. So guess what happened? Extra 30 years. 430 years. It was as if they had been forgotten. It was as if nothing. God had departed from his people. Nothing was moving. That was like, that was what it was like when for 400 years after the last prophet prophesied, there was nobody until a man was born. The Bible says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Until John came up, they had not seen any other prophet. They were afraid. The last time they heard anything about a prophet was 400 years before. And then it came the voice of one crying in the wilderness. It was different. The power of God was upon him. But let me quickly add this. Because I'm not about to talk about John the Baptist. Even in the midst of God, of people that have forgotten God, other things were happening. There was a man called Simeon. There was a woman called Anna. They were praying and their prayers were in line with God, with what God wanted to do. So he took the interventions of these two people to bring a the bath of our Lord. Believe it or not. Go and study the scriptures. So that's why John Wesley, I heard this recently. I came across it. He said, it's as if God will not do anything upon the earth except in answer to those prayers. So until people pray, things may not happen. Things may not happen. 
That is why if you study the history of Christianity in the world today, you will realize that something always preceded those revivers. Whether it's Azusa Street, whether it's the one of Ayobabalola, whether it's the one, I mean, whatever revival that we have ever witnessed upon the earth, the, what preceded all of them, all of them without exception, men gathered and they were praying. Men gathered and they were praying. They were praying and the prayer transformed into something else. It transformed. God took over at some point. He took over from them. So on Friday when Pastor Dele is saying, this digital age that we are in and all that, one of the things that believers must commit themselves to is what? Prayer. That was what he said. Very true. Prayers. If you are going to see the manifestation of what God has preordained that should happen. Those things God had preordained them to happen, but you've got to pray. Hallelujah. For them to happen at this time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Back to my message. So I was say, asking you a question. Why does God require our permission? And I just illustrated with the way we pray and all that. So man has legitimacy upon the earth. Hallelujah. One of the things I want you to know is that more than, God is more than willing to be with us. God is more than willing to endure us with his power. God is more than willing to participate in all that we are doing. God wants to dine with us. God wants to feast with us. God wants to fellowship with us. As far as God's side is concerned, it is settled. That is what he wants to do. But the question is, are we as willing, as ready to dine and fellowship with him the way he wants to do with us? That is the question. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, it said, Behold, I stand where at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and eat with me. He was writing this concerning one of the churches that Jesus wrote the letters to. And then this church happens to be a church that was lukewarm. They were neither cold nor, nor hot. So guess what God said? I will spit you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. But he then later said, behold, I am at the door of your heart. So if at this time you will knock, I quoted that scripture to let you know that he was writing to the church. He wasn't writing to unbelievers. He was not saying, because anytime you talk about permission, you said, after all, I, you, I gave my life to Christ. That is not what we are talking about here. We are talking about something that happens moment by moment. Moment by every decision. Every action, every step that is taken, God has been granted permission to interfere in what you're doing. To interfere in what you're doing. To, to interfere, to do what only he can do in your affairs. So this one is like a walking lunch. You know a walking lunch. You go for a workshop and then they tell you, ah, we, we, we still have a long way to go. We need to cover a lot of ground. And so they call all the participants together and say, you know what? We're going to have a walking lunch. So, as you are eating, the presenter is also making his presentation. <laughs> God said, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. Tap, 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 tap. If anyone hears my voice and opens, what is that? That's permission. God will not force his way in. God is not going to push himself into you. God is going to gently knock at the door of your heart. He's God all the time in the world. He created time. So he's waiting. You are the one wasting time. 
So the day you hear the voice and respond by opening your heart, that is the day he comes in to dine. He comes in and he dines with you. Hallelujah. Guess what? It is that relational connection with the Father that brings about transformation in our life. Is about building his glory. Many of us think it's about struggling. Hey, I, I won't smoke again. Won't, oh my God, the spirit is here. How come I'm still smoking? I won't do it again. Uh, um, I look one, you know, somebody dressed in a very funny way, and as you're driving, you just look. The first look unconscious. After all, you have no um, uh, power over the way the person is dressed. But you see, the second look is deliberate. So I tell myself to look straight. You know how you are driving and somebody drives beside you and you are always looking. I tell myself not to look. I face forward. Now, I see you as you are coming. So anything I need to see, I've seen. When you get to my side, you know how drivers, they, they just look at you and I don't do that. <laughs> so that you don't use your eyes to catch some things that your eyes shouldn't see. But that's just by the way. But the point I'm trying to make is this. That relational connection between our heart and the heart of God is what brings about transformation. It's what brings about transformation. You see, it's about beholding a particular reality that floods your heart. That when you see something else, a lesser reality, if it's a reality at all, you don't yield. You don't respond. You know how to do, deal with it. Why? Because you have encountered the true God. You have encountered God. So it's not about struggling. I won't do this again. I won't. No! It's about encounter. It's about seeing him the way he is. It's about understanding what it means to have fellowship with the father. Jesus sat at the well, was talking to that woman. And then the woman was surprised that a Jew was talking to her. And Jesus said, if you knew who. He's asking you for water. You will have asked him. He will have given you a water that you wouldn't even need to come. It will have turned to a spring, welling up onto eternal life within you. You will have asked him for something better. But guess what? She said, uh, he said, she said I perceive you are a prophet. And then she changed the topic. But where I'm going is that Jesus told her. He said, a time comes. Because a woman had asked, where should we worship? This mountain or the one you guys said is in Jerusalem? Jesus said the time comes and now is when true worshippers we neither have to come to this mountain nor go to Jerusalem but true worshippers will do what? They will worship the Father in what? And what? And in truth. Truth means to unveil. To worship the Father in truth does not mean that you are coming without baggage. It doesn't mean you have it all together. It doesn't mean you have done all that there is to do where righteousness is concerned. What it means is that you come the way you are. You open up the way you are. You open up to him the way you are. That is what it means. You come before him, you open up. You open up. Because there is nothing to hide. Do you know who we are dealing with? Everything is open and naked before him. Psalm 139. He said, even if I make my bed in there you, you are. He said, to you, he said, darkness is not dark to you. He said, to you, the night is as bright as day. So, why is he requiring us to worship him in spirit and in truth? Because whoever comes to God, remember that scriptures? 
must believe that he is. God is the ultimate, is the truth. God is the ultimate reality, right? There is nothing concealed in God. Everything is open. So when you come before him, you must come to him as he is. He is open to you. When you also come, you must be open to him. Be ye only as your heavenly father is what? Forgive as Christ did what? When you come to him, you come to him not as you are, yes, also as he is. But when we say as he is, this is what we are saying. We are saying that since God is open to you, there is nothing hidden about him when you come to him. When you also come, you open up. You know the way Superman we just remove his shirt and you see S. Just, so you, you open up when you come before him. Hallelujah. You open up in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. You open up to him. That is where true freedom is. Look at what Jesus said in John 17 verse 3. He said, and this is eternal life. He was trying to define eternal life for us. Now, eternal life is the quality of life that every believer is supposed to have. The reason why I'm saying he's supposed to have is because, remember what Peter, Paul wrote to, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, you are like, you live like mere men. I can't relate with you as mature. I can't relate with you as someone who can actually take and do what I'm dishing out. I'm relating to you as babes, as carnal, that is fleshly. You only think about the things of this earth. You cannot conceive nor retain the things of God in your mind. So Paul was talking about that. Hallelujah. So this scripture says, and this is eternal life. John chapter 17 verse 3. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. That they may know you. The key word in this scripture that I'm coming back to is the word know. That they may know you. The eternal life, eternal life is to know. To come to that knowledge. That is eternal life. That is any man born of God that will display eternal life must actually know God. Not just God. The true God. And Jesus whom he sent. It will become clearer. Look at the second scripture. John chapter 8 verse 32. John 8 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall what? Make you free. Can you see that word again? No. How does the truth make you, feel, make you free? When you come to the knowledge of it. So it is the knowledge of the truth that makes you free. So I believe it's important that we should know what that word know is. Uh, tautology. It's important that we know what the word know is here. To know the truth. He said this is eternal life. To know. Hallelujah. And you shall know the truth. In Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, the Bible says, And Adam knew. Genesis 4.1. I want to show you something. And Adam what? Knew he, his wife, and she did what? She conceived. You see this knowledge of eternal life, this knowledge of the truth that we are talking about, we make you to conceive. 
<laughs> it will make you be fruitful. So this knowledge is not just Adam knew Eve. Oh, that is Eve, my wife. She has one head. There are differences in her physiological makeup, but we are human beings all the same. This knowledge is participatory. This knowledge, they came together. There was a pouring into one another. There was an, sorry, some of you may not be able to take it, but it's an English word. There was an intercourse, a communion, a fellowship, a koinonia that took place. Pouring into one another. It's like what Jesus was saying in John chapter 15. He said, except you abide in the vine, you cannot do, you can do nothing. It is when you abide in the vine. Why are you abiding in the vine as a branch? Because the sap, the life-carrying faculty of the vine flows through the branches. When you are cut off, that sap, that life cannot flow into you. No, this is eternal life. That they may know you. So this knowledge is not, I've read, I, do you know I read two chapters of the Bible today? Mm -mm, it goes beyond reading. It's a fellowship. It's a fellowship. It's not a knowledge as in something you retain in your mind alone. This one is experiential. You, something happened. It's like God knocking your heart and then you, knocking at the door of your heart, you open up, he comes in, he sits with you and he dines with you. How can you dine with the Lord and then you suddenly forget what you guys talked about. How can God dine with you and you forget about the experience? It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. That is why I have notes. That is how I have journals. Because I can't be reading my Bible and I scream out of nothing. And then I have nothing to jot down. Forget it. I can't dine with him and I quickly forget what he taught me. And then I quickly forget what he instructed me to do. Hallelujah. That is that knowledge. It conceives. It gives birth to something. It brings something out of you. That is the knowledge to know this is eternal life. That they may know you. That they may know you. Eternal life. To know is a kind of knowledge, folks. I'm emphasizing it because it's very, very important for you to know it. The same way in New Heath. And that produce who? Produce a good guy and a bad guy. <laughs> but you see, this knowledge can only produce good things. Amen. Hallelujah. Produce Cain and Abel, in case you didn't get what I was saying. So the knowledge of what? That's the next question you want to ask me. To know what? Knowledge of what are we talking about? Knowledge of what? The knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth. Hallelujah. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and what? Life. So the knowledge we are talking about is the knowledge of the truth. So the question is, what is truth? <laughs> if it's the knowledge of the truth, then what is truth? You know why I'm asking this? The, the question sounds so basic. And I've related with some, I, I intentionally engage some believers in conversation within the week to ask them, and because I consider this to be basic, but guess what? As I was talking to them, certain things began to emanate. I heard things like, well, um, you know, uh, truth, that is true. I said, okay, I agree. 
I said, so what else can you say? He said, and for, don't forget, what, what I consider to be truth may not be your own truth. In which case, they are saying, in other words, they are saying truth is relative. Right? So truth is not, um, it's a reality, right? Truth is described as to unveil, okay? Nothing hidden. Nothing is concealed. Okay, that which is in accordance with reality. So what people are saying is that my reality may be different from your reality. So in which case, I come out and I say, don't call me a male, don't call me a female, I am gender neutral. So, but our constitution, you have to change that constitution. I'm gender neutral. And then you get to an office, they give you a form to fill, and you begin to scream at the top of your voice. Say, what is the problem? What is the problem? Say, you didn't make provision for my gender. Say, but there is male and female. I'm neither male nor female. Bible says, male and female created e them. Is truth relative? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. You know, many believers out of emotion. Out of emotion, they say, are you now saying that these millions of people of this particular religion, I don't want to mention name, are going to hell? Are you now saying Christ is the only way? Only way. Let me ask you another question. How many Christians do we even have around the world? And you say, so, so million. You say, really? So the rest of the people are going to hell? Saying that's what the Bible says. No, 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 no. That is your own reality. I'm sure if we ask the Hindus, they also have something to say. Is truth absolute or is truth relative? You know why it's important for us to deal with this? The reason is because if truth means to unveil, if truth means the reality of things, the way things are, then does it not mean that most of us living today could, have, could be living a lie. Let me explain. Let me explain. I'm a Yoruba guy. If you come from your side, Femi, I'm not talking about you, Pastor Efe. Sorry about it, but it's a good example. You know, your people were known to be warriors. And there were so many other warriors. Biodo Fabu Mi of Okemesi. You know, you have such very valiant, very warriors in Yoruba land. And because of wars, guess what? When you give back to your child, every community, they devise a means of recognition. So guess where they plaster it? Here. <laughs> so you have a bajaolo, you start from here, you bring it down, and then you turn it this way and put another one on top. So that if let them take you, let's walk, take you. You will always retrace yourself, your, your steps back. We will know you belong to us. You are from Ubomosho. Hallelujah. They, they, they see that. And guess what? You don't know where I'm going. You don't know. And then the guy grows up. We are now in the modern era. And then you want to go for a wedding. You go to a makeup artist. Mrs. Ogundipe. Makeup by Kemi. Hallelujah. And then we cover the entire thing. And so you see a lovely lady from Ubomosho, Abajaolo, 
concealed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Say, Lovely lady, can I have your number? You take the number. Now, I'm not, this is just for a disclaimer. <laughs> I'm not, it's not in my character to abuse people. But I think this will bring it out. It will bring it out. And I'm not even in a position to abuse anybody. After all, my own two hands are not the one So I've multitasked So <laughs> let me continue. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, concealed. And then you look at a pretty lady. And what you see, you think you are dealing with this person the way the person is. But guess what? Some things have been concealed. It's going to lead to crisis. It will lead to problem later on when you discover when the makeup are gone and it is no longer there. And you see the true reflection of that person. It's, who are you? What are you doing in my house? I know that. You know why? Truth was concealed. Truth was concealed. Many years ago, in the baptizing church, there was a, a man, Mr. Fash. He works for Total. And then we became friends. <coughs> and then I visited him like three times. The first time I went to his house, I bought a good bottle of wine. The guy works with Total. You've got to represent. So I bought a bottle of wine. But this guy must be exposed. It's a bottle of wine. How are you doing? We fellowship the first time, the second time. Everything was fine until he said, eh, we'd like to visit you tomorrow. I pretended as if I didn't hear. <laughs> you know why? I was living in a room apartment. I wasn't married. I was alone. I was ashamed of my apartment. All I've done up to that point was conceal my true self. I projected myself in a particular way by buying wine. Ah, when last did I even drink wine in my house at that time? Where did I get the idea? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to do that, but guess what I'm doing? I pretended till he left. He never visited me once because I didn't allow it. How can a guy in total with all the beautiful things around now come to my house and see even this your furniture? This one, this one needs refurbishing. This one needs this. I didn't want to be judged. That's my example, Abby. We are one by one. Come and queue up. Come and be telling us your own example. <laughs> Come and tell your own example. All I'm trying to tell you is that we live in the world of make-believe. We live in a world where we package. And there is a statement that people make. It will surprise you that some people might think it's in the Bible. Fake it until you make it. It's not in the Bible. It's not. It's a statement made by, I don't know who made it first. But I believe the original owner of that statement must be a con artist. Fake it. It's a world where we package things. It's a world where we conceal things. We only show the world what we want the world to see. And that has seeped into our both consciousness and our unconsciousness. We do it both consciously and unconsciously. Do you know the way we do it in church? How are you doing? Why didn't you see you in church yesterday? I, I, I'm strong. I was strong. No, you were not strong. You were sick. We conceal. We don't want, uh, uh, no matter what, no matter what I face, 
when success comes my way, how we praise the Lord. Then you ask them, you said, ever since you were born, you have never seen any evil. All you have seen is success. They say, no, ah, in 1983, I almost lost my life. So why are you singing when success comes my way? When you know the adversity, you've passed through certain adversity. You think what you are doing is just small. You are concealing the truth. You are concealing the truth. You are training your heart in deception. You are training your heart in deception. You, it becomes a natural way. In church, when we do these things, nobody even thinks otherwise. Nobody feels we have done anything wrong. Because it has become the order of the day. Not to reveal our true self. In those days, in the eye, I'm coming back there now. But let me go to school first. But at the height of my consulting with European Union, in those days, I will have assignments in Lagos. Since I'm talking about the knowledge of the truth, I guess the preacher will have to let you in on some of the secrets. I will take Okada from Femi Okunu because of tra traffic all the way to Ikeja. Few meters to the place. I will look for a nice cab and negotiate. And then I will go just sit behind. The guy will drive for like three minutes or five minutes. We're already at the company. Lagos Chamber of Commerce and Industry or Institute of Directors or any of those places I visited in those days. And then I will come. Please. Please. Um, blah, blah, blah. You just want them to come out and see that you came in a nice ride. Because your robust will say is Irini Sini Sonny um, how do you translate that? Sin is, is believing. Oh, is believing. Uh, address the way you want to be addressed. Now, there is a truth in that. Don't dress anyhow. Represent your office well. That's not what I'm saying. But you understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we try to veil the truth, we shield ourselves from what is really going on. Bible says, confess your sins one to another. That takes a measure of unveiling. You have to remove the cloak and show people, see, this is my soul. This is what I'm still battling with. You know why? Because the truth is empowering. The truth is empowering. Why do you think people talk to shrinks? Why do you think people, sorry, sorry, we're in church. Why do you think people talk to pastors? <laughs> Why do you think people book sessions with pastors? Because when you, they said a problem shared is a problem maybe I've solved or something like that. They say things like that. There's a, some truth in it. Yeah. Bible says he who covers his sin shall not prosper. When it comes to God, those who come to him must believe that he is. Those, God the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Openness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Truth is not truth is not relative. Truth is not what we define it to be. When I was in school, I studied philosophy. That's the reason why when you are talking about maths, you, I'm lost. 
And I remember when we were doing the problem of God. You may not know, in philosophy, one of the most popular topics is the problem of God. Does God exist or not? And then you have philosophers who argue that God exists. You have philosophers who argue that God does not exist. I hope I'm correct. There is a particular philosopher called Blaise Pascal. I hope I'm correct. And his own argument is that he did not support whether God exists or God does not exist. He stayed at the middle. But he said, it is better to believe that God exists. Because if you believe God exists, then you will live a good life. After all, he's saying don't smoke, don't do this, don't do that. No, God didn't say don't smoke. Oh, sorry. sorry. We shouldn't be having that conversation. But wait. God just told us to live righteously. <laughs> Let's live it that way. And then you will have lived a good life. And when you get to the end of time, and you realize that God actually does not exist, you have not lost anything. You lived a good life. You realize God does not exist. He said, but if you say God does not exist and you live your entire life believing that, at the end of your life, you died only to wake up to a new reality that God actually exists. He said, you are done for. <laughs> that God is going to show you. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is the fact that a man comes up and he says, that is not true, does not change that thing from being true. And the same, in the same vein, the fact that someone says, that this is my truth, or this is the truth, does not make it the truth. Do you get what I'm saying? If indeed Christ came and he died for the sins of humanity, that you and I might be free, if that is true, whether you say you believe it or not, it does not change it from being the truth. Do you get what I'm saying? If God says, I'm going to come and judge the living and the dead, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us who are still living will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. If the Lord says that, and that is true, whether you believe it or not does not change that. Do you get what I'm saying? Because truth is absolute. And it's just a matter of time. All of us shall see him as he is in truth. Hallelujah. We have not really been able to explore truth the way I thought we were going to explore it. But I believe you just get what I'm trying to show you this evening. This morning. From now, when it comes to the worship of nothing hidden. Everything is open. Everything is open. You know why? Because the Bible does not keep us in the dark regarding how the transformation by the truth occurs. The Bible didn't keep us in the dark. The Bible explains and shows us clearly how that transformation occurs. It says the word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides so, and spirit. It divides joints and marrow. Is the discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. When you ingest truth, it says, you shall know fellowship of intercourse with the truth and the truth, not you. It is that truth that will make 
you free? How does it make you free? When the truth gets into you, it separates the things that are of God from the things that are not of God. It shows you, you know all those gray areas. I'm not really sure. Did God say I can just take two cups of wine or is it just a pinch I should take? All those gray areas that we say, the Bible says the word, which is the truth, is the discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14, we read it when we started. Verse 14 says, solid food belongs to the mature who by reason of use, that reason of use is the regular intake of the truth. That reason of use is the consistent fellowship with the truth. That reason of use is the consistency with which you attend to the things of God. What are the things of God? To prayer, so that you stay aligned with his will, and then the study of the word. Read your Bible, pray every day. Basic. It's an, it's an anthem we will sing until we die. That's the life. Who by reason of use are those who have committed to that. So by reason of use, they have exercised their mind to be able to distinguish between good and evil. Hallelujah. So this morning is an invitation for you to participate in the truth. Jesus was answering questions from Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate asked him, he said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus looked at him, he said, are you asking the question for yourself? Or did you hear, is it what people are saying? You don't get it. Paul was standing trial before Agrippa and the rest. And Agrippa said, Paul! Too much learning has made you mad. Paul said, I'm not mad. Oh, most noble this and this. He said, but I'm telling you about the, the message that can deliver another. I'm paraphrasing. The point I'm trying to make is that you see a man who has the truth living within him. When you find him in a situation, it doesn't matter how terrible the situation is. It doesn't matter how um, threatening, how challenging the situation is. The man will stand for the truth. Jesus that they were about to crucify, he was still trying to, to witness. You don't get it. He said, are you the king of the Jews? He said, uh, are you asking the question because you are interested or because they said so? You don't get it. Jesus was ready to engage the man the same way he engaged the woman by the well. With his last breath, he was still seeing the opportunity to get something done. Can you get it what I'm saying? Paul, who knew that the end of what, of the trial he was standing was going to be death. He was still waiting and still engaging the man whether he would believe in Christ or not. When the truth lives in you, you will not be a bystander no matter what is going on in your life. When truth is living in you, you are not just a bystander. You are an active participant in the kingdom of, of the Father. No matter at the detriment of your life, at the detriment of your health, at the detriment of your safety, you will still be proclaiming that which you are convinced of from your heart. Rise to your feet and let's give praise to God this morning. Let's adore him. Let's thank him because of truth that is living and abiding in us. Bible says this is eternal life. To know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life.
All I want you to do this morning is just to open your mouth and bless the name of the Lord. Just give him thanks. Give him thanks. Because his truth lives in you. Give him praise. Because the word abides in you. Give him praise. Because that reality of who God is is a light and a lamp to you. To this world and to your, to, to your steps, to your path. It illuminates your path. You know what to do. Because the truth abides within you. I want you to do something before I leave this morning. Confess with your mouth, Lord, I give you permission. Permission to invade my space. Permission to do what only you can do. Permission to alter what does not belong to you. Permission to bring me into alignment with your purpose. Permission, oh God. Come in, do what only you can do, oh God. I give you free access. Free access. Free access. Shine the light of your truth to the dark corners of my heart. Let every part within me be illuminated by your truth that I might be found doing what you have called me to do. Oh God. Jesus prayed for his disciples and he prayed for us in John chapter 17. In verse 17 he says, Sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them with thy word. Your word is truth. Thank you for the cleansing power of your truth. We give you praise, O oh God. Amen.